Welcome to the Behind the Bliss podcast, where Mary Scott Mercer and Rachel Autry bring weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Behind the Bliss podcast. I'm your host, and today I'm interviewing my new friend, Caitlin Ornett. Caitlin is a writer and the new author of The Book of Comforts. When someone is grieving, what should we say? How can we help? How do we comfort without offering shallow platitudes? In times of sorrow, scripture beckons us to look up and out because our help comes from the Lord. The Book of Comfort stands in the gap between suffering and hope, offering leaders the abiding comfort found in scripture. Caitlin is a Nashville gal, an Enneagram 7, and I simply loved our conversation. So without further ado, here's my conversation with my new friend, Caitlin Ornette. Hey, Caitlin, how are you today? I'm so good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. And we don't know each other, actually, but I um, have kind of known who you are for a long time because I've been a reader of She Reads Truth and kind of found your writings a few years ago. And I'm so excited about your new book. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and get to chat with you. Awesome. Well, can you um, just take a few minutes and take us... Um, kind of through your life, who you are, what you do, and kind of just the season of your of your life that you're in? Yes. So I currently live in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I grew up in Asheville, North Carolina, which is not confusing ever at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I am a writer and now a co-author of a book called The Book of Comforts. Um, but I also get to write other really fun places like She Reads Truth, you mentioned. Um, I've written for the Abide Meditation app, Fathom Magazine, uh, Brio Magazine, a few of other um, of my favorite places. But I also, I work full-time as a marketing copywriter for an oh my gosh. marketing company. So all the things. All the words, all the things. <laughs> yes. So anything that pretty much involves words or people. I want to be there. <laughs> I love it. Well, I did not know this, but did you go to South Carolina? I did. I love that. Well, I live in Columbia, so I feel like oh, I don't no know way. how I figured that out about you, but I live in Columbia. So there you go. I love it. <laughs> that is so fun. I know. I know. Well, I went to Clemson, but my husband came, went to USC, and I grew up a diehard Gamecock fan. So it's just funny. So it we'll all just happens the way it that. Yes, you can forgive <laughs> me. That's what everyone always says. Um, yes. Well, I just would love to kind of just talk about um, – your new book. I know you co-authored it, but I know that you have a special um, just connection about this book. So can you kind of just take us back and kind of tell us the birthplace of this book and kind of how it came to be and kind of um, maybe your goal in writing this? Yes, absolutely. So I like to say that the Book of Comforts actually began on what was the worst day of my life. Um, I had just moved to Nashville and I was going to work for She Reads Truth. And I was um, 22 years old. And I was just so excited to like graduate college and start my new life in a new city. And um, a few weeks into that, I got the phone call that never that no one ever wants to get um, and found out that my younger brother, who was 20 years old at the time, had passed away very unexpectedly mm-hmm. and suddenly. And it was just 
the thing that turned my whole world upside down, you know, like, I think there are so many cliche things that people say when things like this happen, but in the moment, that's just exactly how you feel. And, um, Kendall, actually, uh, Clemson has a soft spot in my heart because Kendall went to Clemson. Um, so we were also a house divided, but, um, (laughs) he was just my best friend. He was the guy who, like, I remember he would date girls growing up and um I would just think like I'm so glad that like I'm the one who gets to be a sister and have him forever Mm, and we just had such a close relationship that I'm really grateful for um and so I didn't really have a reason to ever believe that I would lose him but just because we were so close and I loved him so much I think that that's a natural fear that we can have um, to lose the people that we love. And so it was an experience that I had definitely considered before, but the way that things happened were just so tragic and unexpected that um, it was just so surreal. And it was something that I had pictured before, but suddenly my family and all of his friends and every, the whole world was in it with me, you know, like I think in those fears we can be so, um, focus on how we're going to deal with it. And, um, so I had kind of, um, before this been around women who were in ministry and they were writers and speakers. And I kind of looked around at my life and thought like, that's something that I would maybe be interested in and want to do. Um, and I really thought like I had had this conversation with God and I had felt like I was supposed to write a book about joy. Mm. And that's like what my life was supposed to be about, you know, because I just um, I loved my life. I loved people in it. And I feel like whenever this happened, I kind of looked at God and was like, this isn't what we talked about. <laughs> like, I don't right. understand um, what happened or where you are. And so I worked at She Reads Truth at the time, and the women that worked there were such a blessing to me, and their families really just took me in. And um, Rebecca, who I shared an office with at the time, and we had only known each other really for a couple of weeks, she is the first one that I saw after I got the phone call, and she Mm. decided that she was going to drive me home to Asheville to be with my parents so that I didn't have to drive by myself or figure out flights. And she just knew that this was something that I shouldn't have to be alone in. And, um, I think that her servant hearted act of just putting things down for me, she has six children now. (laughs) And, um, she just dropped everything and drove me home and sat with me in my grief and did not um, reject me or make me feel like I was too much or I was going through something too hard or she didn't know what to say. And so we were driving, it's about a five hour trip from Nashville to Asheville. And she, we would just kind of like start telling stories. And I think you know, I would talk about my brother and then I would suddenly like trail off realizing that the story was going to be so different from, from then on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I would sometimes ask like spiritual questions, like, 
you know, as I'm processing things, everything's still so new and I'm still really in shock. But I was like, I thought that like God wasn't supposed to give me more than I could handle. Um, Mm. or, you know, Mm. just questions like that, that you kind of grew up believing that might be true. Um, but until you really have to rely on them, you start to question like if that's true or not. And so she would call her husband, Caleb, and he was reading scripture to us in the car, you know, like, well, that's, that's not what God says, but these are the promises that you can't cling to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Caleb and Rebecca ended up being two of my co-authors for this book. And that is so amazing. Yes. Oh my gosh. They are just incredible. And they, really gave me a home and a place where I was so alone. And I think that having them in Nashville was a big reason why I felt confident in coming back. And Mm -hmm. they really just walked through this with me. And I think the thing that we learned over the past few years is that, um, you know, that experience really bonded us together, but our lives otherwise look so different. Like Caleb and Rebecca, I said they have six kids. They um, met in college and got married soon after, and they um, live an entirely different life than mine. I'm single, living in Nashville, and had just moved to a new city and didn't really know anybody. And so they were very well established and knew people in town and really did not have to make room for me in their lives, but they did. Mm-hmm. And that was just something that really made a difference for me. Um, but I think down the road, I realized that what they did for me was not a very common experience or thing that people feel very comfortable doing when something really terrible mm-hmm. happens to the people that they love. And, um, and then on the receiving side, grief can be so isolating and you can feel right. like, no one understands what you're going through or no one really wants to take the time to acknowledge what happened. Um, mm. And I, I think it start, kind of opened some bigger questions for me. Like, you know, why is this like faith that I grew up believing in these people who claim to know Christ? Um, why is this experience that I'm having in suffering in this experience that we, we've basically been promised in the Christian life Um, it's the thing that kind of sets redemption into motion in the Christian story. Mm. Um, Why is it kind of something that we shy away from talking about? And why is it something that we kind of brush under the rug and hope, you know, we'll get better? And I think that that was um, kind of a sentiment that I felt from a lot of people around me, whether intentional or not, like they wanted me to get better. And I think, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I would have loved to get better, but that's not really something that I felt was possible. And so, um, I think that grief moves and changes and is different in different seasons, but, um, in creating the book of comforts. And so it's, um, with my co-authors, Caleb Ferris, Rebecca Ferris, and then Simone Wilder, who has become one of my really good friends, um, she is an incredible graphic artist and designer and 
um, she and Caleb ended up doing so much of the artwork for the book. And that was such a – It is a beautiful book. Oh, my gosh. I just have – everyone needs to know. It is one of the most (laughs) beautiful books I've ever held. Thank you. That's really kind of you. Um, It was something that was really important to me because I think in the really isolating experience that I had with grief, I was simultaneously working at She Reads Truth, which is a ministry um, that really makes – really beautiful resources for studying the Bible. And they talk about giving the inherently beautiful gospel, the aesthetic beauty it deserves. And I just love oh that gosh. so much. Um, so good. Was, so good. <laughs> was so inspired by that. And I think that I, I kind of started to look around and wonder why the grief books that I was being given or that I found in a bookstore did not reflect that suffering is you know, kind of where redemption starts. And it didn't really reflect Mm. the things that I had come to learn about what God promises in our suffering and, um, you know, the way that he is making all things new and he gives us an eternal hope. And I remember having an experience where I walked into anthropology and I saw all these really beautiful books that are about travel and, um, decorating and, um, recipes. And I just thought like, I think I would have to really like clean up my life and heal from so many things until I felt like my life could even look like that a little bit. And Mm -hmm. so I think I thought like, if, if this is what we really believe as Christians, that suffering is the place where God does his best work and reveals himself to us, um, why can't we have beautiful books and why can't mm-hmm. we be equipped with something beautiful and encouraging whenever we don't know what to say to those friends who are going through something really hard and it doesn't even have to be a loss. Um, it could be a disappointment. It could be an illness. It could just be anything that, um, requires comfort, which is basically every day of my life. That's not right. even just <laughs> associated with, um, you know, something that's really serious. But I think that in walking with um, these three people in our lives, we've seen that we've really connected on various points of suffering, but we didn't have to be going through the same thing to understand. Like um, Caleb and Rebecca had never lost a sibling and I have never had children or I've never adopted children. Um, but I think that what we were able to find is that our commonality is that we're in pain and we need to find comfort mm-hmm. and we want to find true and lasting comfort that is not going to fail us and not going to disappoint us. And we found that in God's word. And, and so I think that we found that this conversation wasn't happening of, you know, we're all going through something really difficult, um, whether we want to talk about it or not, but we all need comfort and we all need um, reminders of God's promises in a broken world. And so um, we wanted to write this book, not just about me and my specific loss of my brother, but we wanted to start a larger conversation about every type of pain. Um, and we don't even want the focus of the book to be about pain. We want it to be about the way that God meets us in it. 
and mm. um, the comfort that he gives and the hope that he gives and not to just brush through or over the pain, um, you know, and just believe in a cliche, but to really acknowledge that we have a seat at the table of commonality in Christian suffering. And we've all been through really hard things and probably will continue to go through hard things until Mm -hmm. we're in heaven. But the same hope still applies to all of us, whether or not we've lost someone or we've been through a breakup or we're sick or we're having um, a hard time with a family member. It just, we're better together. And I think that we're doing ourselves no good by pretending that our suffering isn't as serious as someone else's. I think that we're really missing out on so many important opportunities for connection by disqualifying ourselves from being honest about what God's doing in our lives. A hundred percent. I'm so glad you talked about that. And I love just all that you've been saying about what it meant for you to walk through your grief in community. And I think, you know, that's kind of where I think a lot of people are struggling is they, you know, on the on one side of the page, you have someone struggling and not knowing how to communicate their struggle or their grief. And then the other mm-hmm. side is you have someone longing to know how to comfort them, but not knowing how. And I think so afraid at the thought of offending someone or doing it the wrong way that they don't do anything at all. Absolutely. Um, and I'm just, yeah, I'm just grateful that like you saw this and you saw the lack of resources and decided to do something about it. So I'm so thankful. Um, I kind of would love to talk about um, and get your opinion on kind of what, how, what we believe about God kind of impacts how we walk through suffering. Cause I think, you know, I lost my mom when I was 16 Mm. and I think at that point in my life, I, um, kind of looked at God, like he was kind of far off. He was in like a big throne chair and he decided how to, you know, deal with my life based on how I performed or how my actions lined up. And I realized over time through lots of counseling (laughs) and um, just like grief and healing that I had a really wrong theology about God. But I, you know, in that wrong theology, I really um, allowed my brain to assume things about God that weren't true. And I think like you were saying earlier about how so many of us really cling to that promise like oh god will never give me more than you can handle because i think it feels safe and comforting and it's something we like to really cling to but like you said mm-hmm. it's actually not the promise um and so how was walking through this season like what did you have to learn and reshape in your own you know knowledge of god as you walked and processed this because i would assume that maybe you're like me in that it was kind of obviously the worst thing you could have experienced, but in some ways um, a blessing because it really allowed you to come to terms with who God was and what he actually promised us in his word. Yes. I think there's so many ways and I think that I'm still learning, you know, but um, Mm -hmm. initially, I mean, I am still a very much fearful person. Um, but I think that my perspective on fear has changed so much. Um, just because I, I think that I didn't really have to depend on my faith as much as I ever have. Um, until my brother passed away, you know, like I think I came to God for comfort when I was having something, you know, when I was having a fight with a friend or um, when a grandparent was sick or something that was kind of temporary. Um, And I think that I was super guilty of 
not depending on him as much when I felt like my circumstances didn't require that. Um, but I think that this was something that really changed my perspective because it's not something that's going to be fixed. I cannot, um, you know, see my brother until I'm in heaven too. Um, and so I think that it really showed me a lot about the long game of faith and how we can't just, you know, wait on God to make us more comfortable. I think that I really thought that believing in him and praying was going to kind of shield me from the pain of the world. And um, I think that I would get really angry when that didn't work or I thought maybe I hadn't (laughs) prayed enough or I hadn't done something correctly. Um, But I think that I've really seen so much of God's empathy and um, just the way that he really cares for us. I don't really have that many more answers to any of my questions about, you know, why he allowed my brother to die or why, you know, if he's so powerful, like, and I, I do believe like he could have prevented this from happening. Like, why didn't he? Um, I think I've really had to open myself up to, a larger worldview of trust. That's just, Mm -hmm. I don't like any of the answers that I can come up with. And so that's where my trust really has to come into play. And I have to believe that my mind is just too small to be able to comprehend the vast Mm -hmm. life of hope that he's called us to. And I Mm -hmm. think that I can't wait to see how it all works out. Um, I get really frustrated whenever I'm looking at the small picture and I can't understand right away. But I think that I'm learning to see that as more of an invitation rather than um, a rejection or um, getting frustrated with a lack of answers. I think I've learned to lean in more to, to the mystery of God. And um, I think that it's really opened me up to who he really is instead of what I had made him in my mind. Um, And I think that in my mind it had been, he was there to keep me safe and my loved ones safe. And I think that that's, you know, can play a role in it, but ultimately what he's called us to is so much more than a life of safety. And um, so I think that I, but I've also had to, let myself be angry with God, which I had never really let myself do before. I think that that was really taboo. And I think that I've also been more honest than I ever have been with him of, you know, okay. Like I think after several months, we kind of had this moment of, okay, I'm going to look you in the eye right now. And we both know what happened. And we both know that, you know, I have, not prayed for anyone more than I did my brother Kendall and still you let this happen. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how we're going to acknowledge this and how we're going to move forward, but I need you to show up and trust me and help me. And I think that I thought initially that that would mean that somehow he was going to miraculously show up and I was not going to have to deal with this situation anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's not what happened at all. It was it was almost the opposite, but in a way that I am 
without a doubt certain that he's there. And I think that he's there, you know, he gives us enough for each day. He doesn't um, Mm -hmm. just numb the pain, but I think he allows me to feel it and still sits with me in it. And so I think Mm -hmm. that ultimately my view of him was so much smaller and more selfish than I knew. And I think that um, every time I get a glimpse of something that I didn't expect or was outside my own version of God that I'd created in my head, it kind of gives me enough to keep going and seeking him and pursuing the purpose in this that I still don't understand or can't see. Right. Oh gosh, thank you so much for just sharing all of that. I can relate on so many levels of just me assuming, like I think a lot of times before we um, walk through something really hard or after we walk through something hard, we assume that we know what a good God should do, you know, like, you know, like we assume that a good God wouldn't let X happen or he would have done this faster than me. And I just tend to manipulate and yes. try and, uh, pretend like I am better and I know better and you know my plan is the best option and I think you're right I think when I just surrender to um the mystery I love that you said just surrendering to the mystery of God and I think too I'm glad that you said that because so many people are scared to come boldly to the throne of grace with their honesty and yeah. I think you know just like every close relationship we have we're not shying away from the things that we really feel like I don't you know hide my true feelings from my husband or my best friend when I'm upset like it's not what to do I think people are I I think some people are scared to be honest with the Lord mm-hmm. um but that you're right he he didn't promise that he wouldn't um not let it happen, but he did promise us his presence. And I think that's the only thing we can cling to. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. I think some people probably are sitting back and thinking, okay, you know, I get it. I've walked through this. I understand. Or they're thinking, I, you know, have just not had that happen to me yet. Or I feel like I've had it pretty good so far, but I know so-and-so is walking through it and I have no idea what to do. How would you encourage someone to walk through something with someone they love like what are um I don't know not even practical but how would you would just encourage someone who longs to encourage someone in suffering but doesn't know how yeah I love that question I mean it's funny because I have recently been in that situation like the roles were reversed and one of my very best Mm -hmm. friends um lost someone and I really thought that being on the receiving end of this was going to prepare me to better care for people. But I think really the most that I've learned is that none of us know what to do and it's always awkward Mm -hmm. and it's always difficult to show up for someone. Um, There's not going to be a perfect circumstance. And I think that's just when you have to show up anyway. And I Mm -hmm. had so many friends who did that for me and modeled that for me and I think on the other side, now I see the things that they walked through and probably the lies they had to push back when they were showing up for me, or maybe they were super nervous and didn't know what to say. But I think also when I was on the receiving side of other people, like I don't really remember anything wrong that someone said to me. I think that if it was someone, especially at the very beginning who showed up and 
they were physically there with me, that is what I felt the most. And um, I think that your willingness to push back an awkward situation and show up for your friend or your loved one is going to speak so much more than any awkwardly worded phrase thing that you're afraid that you're going to regret. Um, Absolutely. So true. And I think that just having grace for yourself and, um, you know, like it's not a situation where you're going to be judged on if you brought the right casserole or said the right thing in your card. (laughs) It's literally just loving someone and showing up for them, which you've done so many other ways in your life. And I think that um, acknowledging it and acknowledging your love for that person is just so important. I think on the other side, I did lose a lot of friendships when my brother passed away just because it was awkward on both ends. Um, I think I had friends that didn't know what to say. And I also didn't have the energy to put into a lot of friendships. And so I grieve those friendships, but I also think it taught me so much about showing up for people and just knowing that um, what they're going to remember is that you love them and you were there for them and you don't have to fix it. You know, you're not expected to be a miracle worker or take the pain away. I think that um, just being willing to be honest and sit with them and not even just after it happens, but continuing to check in and continuing to know that, um, to letting the other person know that you're thinking of them. And, um, yeah, yeah, I feel like that's my best advice is to just keep going. And, um, when all else fails, you know, the word of God does not fail. And so I think that that was another one of my hopes in creating the book of comforts was that it would, inspire confidence in people who are afraid to show up for their friends that maybe if you bring this book with you to a hospital room and you don't really know what you're going to see or what's going to happen or maybe the state of the person that you're visiting but you have this book with you and it's kind of something that can you can focus on during your time together and you can look through it you can read it together Um, and I think that that was something that was you know, helpful to me. And I hope that it will continue to be helpful for other people. For sure. I think like, you know, how often do we all want to run to something to comfort us in the middle of this? Or we, you know, we hear like a friend's going through something and we think of something like really silly that we think will comfort them. Okay. Like let's go get Starbucks. Let's go get ice cream, whatever. And I think, you know, we're just doing all of ourselves. Those things are not bad in and of themselves and they're fun, but I think we get caught up in thinking that we can numb ourselves into feeling like we're not going to feel that anymore. And I think what, you know, I've come to realize through my pain and what you clearly have realized in yours is that this is the only thing that will truly comfort Mm -hmm. us. Um, And we cannot turn to these earthly things that, yes, are fun and they do sometimes taste good or feel good or whatever. Um, They are great, but nothing will satisfy our hearts like 
the Word of God. And I love that this book is just so bite-sized. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like hard to like read. It's very comfortable. And I did have a question for mm-hmm. you. I am looking at the contents. And is there like explain to us why um, we went like why I know that you have it outlined, you know, God and comfort or comfort in God alone, comfort and praise comfort in dark places, comfort in restoration, and comfort in truth. Is there a reason that you guys um, outlined it in that order? Yes. Or what's like kind of your hope in that mm-hmm. order? I'd love to hear it because I geek out yes. over this stuff. <laughs> so it's funny because I think that we had, you know, with four of us, we had so many different ideas and we're um, trying to figure out how we were going to or- organize the book, what scripture we are going to include, how we are going to go about everything. Um, and I think that one of the, my top priorities was that I didn't want to categorize based on like the type of pain that people are experiencing, because I thought that that would be Mm -hmm. even more isolating. I didn't want it to be a chapter about chronic illness and a chapter about grief and a chapter about, um, divorce. I wanted it to be about, um, scripture that applies to all of that and allow room for the Holy Spirit to work through our categories without us kind of pigeonholing ourselves into different sections. Um, And so then we kind of pivoted to the other side of, you know, well, what are ways that we experience comfort? And um, one of our initial ideas was to um, separate the book by sense, um, just like um, Mm. seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, feeling. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And we were really excited about that at first, but then we were kind of like, honestly, that's kind of limiting too, because that's really limiting to our own human experience. Um, and I think that God probably works in so many other ways too and brings us comfort um, above our senses. But I think that, um, so ultimately we landed on Psalm 63, um, which is one of my favorites. It's a Psalm of David. And it was when he was in the desert of Judah and he is just so earnest in seeking God in his pain and in his grief. And so, um, and and it kind of changes and it goes through different senses. And so those four sections are actually guided by the four sections of Psalm 63 um, because we really wanted it to be, you know, kind of something that had been prayed before and was traditional. And it was something that was, um, kind of already laid out in the Bible for us as a way that people, you know, our brothers and sisters before us had come to the Lord in other difficult situations. And I think it's really comforting to feel like we can kind of partake in that tradition too and know that we're not alone in the things that we're asking God for. Absolutely. I always like have so much comfort when there's so much times in life where we just like don't know what to say to God. And I feel like the Psalms are what we need when we have no words. You know what I mean? When we don't know how to even come to the Lord, like how do we come honestly or how do we come boldly or how do we come with our pain? The Psalms are such a guide for just our prayer life. And like you said, it's giving us such kind of like a guide and a roadmap on how to approach God based on how people have been doing it for years, obviously years, like centuries. (laughs) Um, But I I love that outline because when our words fail, like we can turn to scripture and to the Psalms and see 
men and women broken in their humanity coming before the Father, and we can see what they said. And, you know, those those are common themes that we, are, to this day, are feeling. And so I love how you have that outlined. I think that is incredible. Um, this is a totally random question, but I'm truly curious. What, how was it working and writing a book with four of your – or three of your friends? Oh, my gosh. It was so, so funny. It was, you know <laughs> – so funny because we had all worked together at She Reads Truth before at some point. Um, Rebecca has worn so many hats at She Reads Truth. She kind of started out as like the shipping manager. And so whenever um, I first started working there, we shared like a 10 foot by 10 foot office together and um, she would mail out all the books. But what Rebecca's really good at is being a writer and an editor. And she um, previously was a theater teacher. And so she is one of the most interesting people I've ever met. And um, she it eventually ended up being the managing editor of She Reads Truth. And so she just got so good at um, laying out the plans that the She Reads Truth community would read. Mm-hmm. And she just loves like diving into commentaries and um, different resources yes. on the Bible and like finding the supplemental scriptures that kind of or like where prophecy is fulfilled somewhere else she geeks out on all that stuff and so I love love um, getting to work with her (laughs) and um, her husband Caleb he actually wrote some of the devotionals but he also did a lot of the artwork in the book Um, and then Simone did the graphic design and she did so much of the beautiful hand lettering and did a lot of the art vision for the book. And so it was so funny to work with them because we all used to work in an office together. Um, but and so we kind of like knew each other's working styles and things like that. But, um, the season of life when we wrote this book was a lot different for all of us. And so, um, some of us have full-time jobs where we like work downtown in Nashville and Caleb and Rebecca have recently started homeschooling their children. And so it was such a different experience. Um, (laughs) Just like, you know, it was no longer like, okay, we're all going to have a meeting in the conference room. Um, But it was fun. Uh And we would, uh you know, go over to their house for a cookout and we would um, just dream about the book. And that's really how the book started was like a conversation around the dinner table of we all really loved working together before. And if we could kind of all put our heads together and work on another project, which really was just began as a passion project, like what would we want to do? And um, I think that that was, this was shortly after I'd had the experience where I got into anthropology and I was like, you know, why is there this disconnect between the life that I'm living mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the books that I'm seeing? And when am I going to be able to find a book that's not just like depressing and black and white and gray and um, something that's more hopeful that really speaks to the hope that I believe um, for my family and my situation? And um, so I think that whenever we kind of talked about this idea, I was like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't rather work with anyone else because, um, they're just amazing. And especially for the artistic aspect, Caleb and Simone are just my go-to people forever because they are so good at bringing, um, art to life and their styles are so different, but work together so well in this book. And Rebecca is just such a brilliant editor and writer that, um, I feel like she could really, she's really someone that could be trusted to, 
um, find all of the passages that we wanted to make sure to include in this book and um, the formatting of this mm-hmm. book and the all of the different layers of um, comfort that we found in the Old Testament and the New Testament that we wanted to weave together. And so it was such a joy to be able to work on this with the people that I love professionally, but also love personally so much. And I think Mm. it was also like, um, you know, these were the people that had really shown up for me in my grief. And so I knew that they were the real deal. And I really wanted the rest of the world to be able to experience the kinds of showing up that they had done for me and knowing that they could care for people really well. And we could create a product that um, I could feel really good about placing in the hands of someone who had been through a similar, similar situation as I have been in, because I think I've been reluctant to, um, recommend books just because I'm kind of like, well, I don't know, maybe this part might be difficult for them to read. Or I think Mm -hmm. that when the focus is on our stories, it can be difficult, but when it's about, um, God's comfort and it's about scripture and it's about other people that have got, are also going through hard things and that you're not alone. It's definitely something that I feel good sharing with other people. Absolutely. Well, I just want to thank you so much for working on this and putting words to something that I think so many of us probably have felt, but didn't know how to put words to. So I'm just grateful for your willingness to share and your pain and honestly just to point people back to the Lord and um, his glory in the midst of your suffering. It's just a beautiful thing and I'm grateful for it. And I know this will bless so many people. Um, I want to switch gears just a little bit and kind of end on a lighthearted and fun note, but can you just kind of tell us some things that you're loving right now? Are you reading? Is it, was it one of those things for you when you were writing like that you couldn't read other people a little bit. <laughs> or, um, um yeah. are you a reader oh, or what I'm are you reading now? <laughs> and it was funny because I think that like the type of books that I read definitely changed. Um, and because I, I'm usually like a really big nonfiction girl, like, um, and I mean like mm-hmm. Shauna Nequist is forever and ever my favorite. Um, but, oh, bread and wine is one of those yes, books. I know. Yes, I, that's <laughs> one of the books that I just love to reread and make those recipes over and over again. But, um, yes, during the process of writing the book, um, some friends and I started a book club and it was so fun because we we're like, Oh, this is like feels like something that like old older mature ladies do <laughs> it's like you know <laughs> and drink a glass of wine and talk about books but um I feel like I I've been introduced to so many like fiction books that I loved um that I wouldn't have read otherwise we just read where the crawdads sing okay everyone's posting I about know. that and someone yeah. else mentioned that on the podcast is it's it good so good and we okay. have followed so many of Reese Witherspoon's book club recommendations and i that's funny. I recently read um, one of hers, the Alice. Oh, we, that was. Did you read that, that, was that one? The first one that we did for a book club. Yes. Okay. Did you like it? <laughs> How did you feel about it? I did. I all the World War II, like I can, if it's like the Nightingale or anything like that, I just am hooked. But I feel like I've gotten bad about my fiction reading, so You're, I'm glad that you mentioned yes. this because I've seen. I'm seeing this book everywhere. Yes, it's really good. Um, I read it like on vacation so it was a great like you know book to not be able to put down Mm -hmm. for a few days um and then we also I read um Daisy Jones and the Six recently which was really fun it's about this like 
band set in the 1970s. Um, and it's, okay. it's really interesting. I like couldn't put it down either. So that was fun. And then our <laughs> book that we're going to read next is called the night tiger. I don't really know that much about it yet, but I'm excited because it's okay. also one of Reese's recommendations. Um, yes. It. And I feel I like it. what else are you loving right yes, now? Yes. Um, I haven't been totally, uh, like into a TV show since, um, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Did you ever watch that? I watched like the first three, but I need to go back and pick it up. Yes. Um, it was it was so fun. <laughs> I loved it. I loved – I was always a big Gilmore Girls fan, so I was really happy course, that yes. Amy sherman Palladino came back, and uh-huh, um, uh-huh. I love all these new characters. And, I mean, uh-huh. other than that, I am just so happy that it is summertime and the sun yes. is out, and I'm going back to all my favorite new – Nashville restaurants and sitting outside as much as I can and um, hopefully getting to travel some this summer. But yeah, just so happy that the warmer weather is here. I am with you. Well, my brother, I think, is about to move to Nashville, and I have not oh, been no to way. Nashville. Yes. And so I'm hoping that maybe this year is the year that I finally come to Nashville. Oh, um, please and try do. It out. I would love to hang out in real life. Absolutely. I will let you know, but I will. I just need all the good res- restaurant recommendations. I'm a foodie through and through, and so yes. I just know that Nashville would hit the spot for me. Oh, yes. Area. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. We can get you recommendations for days. <laughs> for sure. I love it. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for just sharing your heart and your story so vulnerably with us. We're so excited. Where can everyone follow you? And I'll make sure obviously to link the book in the show notes, but where can everyone find you online? Perfect. Thank you so much for um, including all that information. And my name's, you know, Caitlin can be spelled a million different ways. So I'm sure that we can put that in the notes too. Um, But it's a K and two I's. And my last name is Warnett, W-E-R-N-E-T. And I'm just my name on all social media, CaitlinWarnett.com. You can find more about the book at thebookofcomforts.com. And it's available on Amazon and Lifeway, Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. So awesome. Yeah, we'd love to connect with you guys offline. Awesome. Well, thank you, Caitlin. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. I loved my time with Caitlin so much. I'm so thankful for her vulnerability and authenticity in sharing about the pain of losing her brother in life since then. You can order a copy of The Book of Comforts wherever books are sold. We will make sure to link both Caitlin and the book website in our show notes. You can find all of this on BehindTheBlissPodcast.com. As always, we're so encouraged with everyone's continued support for the podcast. Truly, it blows our minds to read your direct messages, your emails, your Instagram posts, and your reviews on iTunes. Speaking of reviews, would you take 30 seconds and leave us a review on iTunes? Reviews are so helpful. They're sort of like the SEO for podcasts. So those who may have never heard about our show can find them and decide to join our community of listeners online. Thanks so much, you guys. We'll see you next week.